Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I'm excited to be back in our series, Little by Little, Finding Your Identity in Christ. And what we're learning in this series is who God is. And we were talking about how the first three chapters are all the theological part, who God is, what he's done for us. And then we said the last three chapters is how to walk that out and how to practically, when we know who we are and we know Christ is in us, how to live that out in our everyday lives. And we've been talking about how Paul might get in our business a little bit. Things might start to get a little personal in our lives, but it'll be good because now we will practically know how to work out our Christian life. And Paul's been talking about unity, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, that's why I've called the message Seven Ways to Have a Healthy Body, because Paul gives us seven truths about the unity that we have. And he talks about the church being a body. Now, I know in our church, there are a lot of health-conscious people here today, right? We've got some nurses. We've got some doctors. We've got some fitness coaches here today. We've got people with multiple gym memberships here today. Uh, We've got people who know so much. (laughs) You know who you are. It's okay. This is a safe place. We've got people with, uh, who know so much about fitness that they could be an exercise coach, you know, a fitness coach. Uh, we've got people who are marathon runners in the room today. Growing up, I used to love to go running with my mom in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, and I'm not talking like, hey, let's go run around the block or anything. No, we used to like run for miles on all these different trails in New Mexico In fact, uh, the sport that I played the most growing up was soccer, and uh, I didn't play the forward position. I didn't even play the defensive or the goalie positions. I played midfield. You know why? If you know anything about soccer, the midfield, they can run everywhere. They're the forwards. They're also the defenders. They can be everywhere. I loved running. Now, I see some confusion. A lot of you are like, hey, what happened to your runner's body there, right? (laughs) You know, when I say the Bible has transforming power, I'm not lying to y'all because I found a verse in Proverbs 28.1 that says, the wicked, the wicked run when no one is chasing them. And I said, why am I running? No one is chasing me. (laughs) And so that became my life verse. That could be yours as well. But uh, (laughs) we all at some level, we do care about our bodies. We care about being healthy, eating right, exercising. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking to us about another body, the body of Christ. And what we've been learning is that we should even be more so concerned about its health, that we should be concerned about the church's health. Because let's face it, health options are always changing. What's popular today may not be popular tomorrow. You might be into keto this week, and you might next week be into a plants-only diet. You might be into a protein diet and a carbs-only diet. What's popular today may not be popular tomorrow. But unlike the changing diet plans that we have in our culture, there is the church has some truths that have never changed. And so we need to fight for the unity, for the health of the body of Christ. And what we've been learning over the last couple weeks, I would say, and even more so last week, what we learned is that we're to walk together in unity. That uh, we learned that in John chapter 17, on the eve of Jesus's crucifixion, he's praying for us that we would be unified. 
that the world will only know that Jesus is real is because of the unity that we have. And we talked about there's four things that we, four truths that we can walk together to show our unity. We walk humbly, we walk in gentleness, we walk in patience, and we bear with one another in love. And when we're walking in those truths, that's when the world will know that we are walking in unity. We talked about also how we're to work for our unity, that we're supposed to preserve the spirit of truth and the bond of peace. And we were talking about how we as a church should always have a posture of forgiveness, that we always need to be looking for ways to reconcile back to one another. The world will know Jesus is real. The only reason why and the only reason how the world will know that Jesus is real is if, the, if we are unified with one another. So Paul is telling us that we need to fight for our unity, and he's going to continue to tell us that we need to watch over and care for our unity. So we're going to hone in on verses 4 through 6, but because verses, uh, four, or verses 1 through 6 are really all about unity, I thought we would just get context and start again in verse 1. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Now, verse 4, this is where we need to pay attention. Here's the seven, seven truths that we need to pay attention to. It says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul has continually been telling us, hey, I realize that you all come from a little bit different backgrounds. You all have different traditions. You all have different preferences. You look a little bit different, but we're all united because we know Jesus. And so Paul is going to continue to drive home this point of unity to us in verses 4 through 6. And the truth that he's driving home to us is the thing that unites us is way bigger than anything that would divide us. And so he lists out some of those truths. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it is a starting point. The seven one statements that he gives us. You might have picked up on it. You can circle them if you want to in your Bible, but it's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. These seven one statements are a list of theological truths that ground us together in unity. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to unpack these seven truths. So I have seven points for you guys today. Now, I see the fear in some of your eyes right now. Some of you, so the jaws have dropped a little bit. You're like, we struggle to sometimes get out with two points, three points, or if we're feeling a little spicy, four, like we struggle to get out on time. And you're telling me seven points? Like I should have brought my friend when you talked about money because this is gonna be more uncomfortable hearing you go on for seven points. Like some of you right now are thinking, how do I fake an illness right now? Like if I pass out, is this gonna end? Or like, you know, maybe you're praying that your kid by the name of Jesus will act bratty so you have to go get them just so you can get out. But listen, you don't need to worry. You don't need to get stressed out. And I'll tell you why. Because you're the 9 a.m. service. And here's the reality. I got to get you out so I can get the 1045 service in today, all right? So you have nothing to worry about. The 1045 service, they got something to worry about, all right? 
you might need to pray for them uh, because uh, they're, they've, we could go all night long with them. So don't text your friends either. Don't spoil it. I'm not going to go that late with them. But here's how we're going to tackle this today. With each of these seven one statements, I'm going to give you a truth and I'm going to give you an application. And they're going to be up on the screen. And if you're a fast note taker, you can write those down. But I would even encourage you just take a picture of it and you can write it down later. But I'm going to give you a truth and I'm going to give you an application. Now, some of these we're going to move a little quicker than others, but we're going to, we're going to have that theme all throughout because I'm going to give you the 30,000 feet view of these statements so that we can wrap our hearts around them so we can understand the truth and how we can be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're ready, say amen. amen. And if you're ready to listen fast, say amen. amen. All right, that's good. Number one, we are members of one body. All throughout Paul's letters and really throughout the New Testament, you'll hear the church referred to either as a metaphor or an illustration. Uh, you'll hear different metaphors to who we are as a church. Paul here in Ephesians in a couple chapters, he's going to describe us as the bride of Christ. And when he talks about that, as he describes the church as the bride of Christ, he's describing us on how our intimate love relationship with Jesus is. And back in chapter two, he talked to us about um, church being, describing the church as being a family, that we are the family of God, meaning that we have one father and we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But here in chapter four, Paul calls us the body of Christ to describe the church. Again, when it's the bride, it demonstrates our relationship with Jesus. When it's the body, it's how we relate to one another. But, or the, the uh, family, it's how we relate to one another. But when he uses the word body, he's talking about people outside the church. Now you might be thinking, what do you mean by that? Well, in your mind, try to come up with a definition of how you would define a body. Now, I'm going to give you some help because, like I said, we don't have a lot of time with this. So the definition of a body is a physical substance of a plant or animal, the material part of a human being, something that gives concrete reality to a thing. So your body is a physical or material part. A body gives concrete reality. Simply put this, you know something is real because it has a body. I'll illustrate what I mean. How do you know that Nate Wittick is a real person? How do you know that I am real? Because I have a body, right? You can meet me. You can shake my hand. I'll tell you the real reason why I stopped running. You can interact with me. We can have a conversation. You know that I'm a real person because I have a body. So how do we know Jesus is real? He has a body. Who's his body? We are as the church. Now, before you think that I'm stretching this a little too far, 1 John 4 says this. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The word abide that John uses could be translated lives in. As we love one another, God lives in, dwells in us, and he continues to exist here on earth. And then what happens is that his love is perfected, meaning to make full or to bring completion. When the world sees the church, what other explanation do they have other than that this must be a thing of God? Because on paper, this doesn't work. 
We come from different backgrounds. We have different cultures. We, have different, we look a little bit different. We act a little bit different. We think differently. We have different preferences. We have different educational backgrounds. We have different economic backgrounds. We have different political beliefs. We are different in so many ways. So on paper, this shouldn't work. And the world will look at us, the church, and they'll go, what is this? What's happening over there? And we can collectively say together with one voice, it is Jesus. It's Jesus in us. He's brought us together as the body of Christ. So here's the truth that unites us. As the church, we are the visible and tangible expression of Jesus in the world. This truth about being one body reminds us that the church is bigger than anything that would divide us. See, all this stuff we like to argue about, all this stuff we like to divide over, all of these things that we love to just kind of uh, bring division in our, our lives, it doesn't come close to making sure that Jesus is real to our city and to this world. So how does this play out in our lives? Well, if the church is a body, a body has many parts, right? And all the parts need to function well. We're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the gifts, uh, starting in verse 7. Paul starts listing out some gifts, and we're going to talk about it next week. But for the body, for the church to be healthy, we all need to function well. See, my gift, my role here at Awaken is teaching. It's a spiritual gift. It's not the most important gift. It's the most visible gift but I would argue that it's not the most important gift. You've all been given a gift here at Awaken Church. All of us have been given a gift by the Holy Spirit, and it must function well for us to be a healthy body. And if all of us are not functioning together using the gifts that God has given us, then guess what? We will never demonstrate the love of Jesus to this world. So here's the application. You need to function as a healthy part of this body. Simply put, you need to get involved. More simply put, get plugged in. Here's what happens in church. People love to sit and soak, but God did not make you to sit and soak. Yes, we can sit. Yes, we can soak. But out of our sitting and out of our soaking, we must serve. I'll illustrate it this way. What happens when you leave a wet towel out on the floor to sit and soak here in the great state of Tennessee. You know what happens, right? I'm already hearing it's stinky. It's going to smell. You might even say if you're in the South, it's going to sour just a little bit, right? Here's the truth. If all we do is sit and soak, then we're going to sour. Here's what happens to a lot of people when they come to church. They sit and they soak and they become spiritually sour because God hasn't created us just to sit and soak. He's called us to serve. And you might be thinking, well, why is this important? What does this have to do with this point? Because as together a church, as we unite, as we serve one another, as we love one another, that's when the world will know that Jesus is real. That's number one. Number two, we have one spirit in us. I want you to notice that the word spirit is capitalized in your Bibles. Now, sometimes when we use the word spirit, we sometimes refer to the human spirit or uh, the spirit of a thing, but that's not what Paul's talking about at all when he's talking about the spirit. 
He's not talking about, hey, we're all one spirit moving towards a certain goal or a certain direction, or we're moving together with the same purpose. What he's saying is that you are one because of the one work of the one Holy Spirit. So what's the truth that unites us? Well, the moment of salvation, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the minute you surrendered your life to Jesus and made him Lord and Savior of your life, in that moment, in that, mil- in that minute, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Meaning this, that God in all of his spirit came to live inside of you. Romans 8 says this, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember those that who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. This verse is pretty black and white and blunt. You don't need to really read a whole lot into it. Basically what it's saying is that if you are a believer here today, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have the Spirit living in you. But if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Here's the application. We all once were far from Christ, but what we have in common is our new life in Christ. How does this play out in unity? Well, as you read all throughout the book of Acts, you're going to hear a phrase repeated all throughout, and it's this phrase, and they were of one accord. When it says that they were of one accord, the Bible is talking about that they were spiritually all on the same page. And you might be tempted to think, well, does that mean the church was like one person or maybe three people? Like that church couldn't have been very large. No, the church was over 20,000 people. And the Bible tells us that they were of one accord. How in the world do you get a crowd of people that big from different backgrounds, different everything? How do you get them all on the same page spiritually? Here's how. They have the same spirit living inside of them. The unity in the body, the unity in the church happens because there is one work of the one Holy Spirit living inside of each of us. The Holy Spirit lives in all Christians and it gives the church its oneness. And without the Holy Spirit, the body, without the Holy Spirit, the church would not exist. And so when you think of it in terms like that, regardless of how you came to know the Lord, how sinful you were, how uh, any of that stuff, regardless of how you came to know the Lord or came to Christ, the Holy Spirit has united us together. We are now one. We're no longer Jews or Gentiles, uh, male or female, black or white. We're no longer from the west side or the east side. We're all one because of the one work of the one Holy Spirit, and that unites us together. Amen? Number three. We are living with one hope. Now, we've talked about this before. This isn't the first time Paul's using the word hope. But when uh, Paul uses the word hope here, he's not talking about um, uh, a way that we would talk about hope. He's not talking about wishful thinking, right? He's not saying like how we might say, well, you know, I wish that I might be able to win the lottery someday. And if you do win the lottery, don't forget. I mean, I'm here. I'd love to, love to collect a little bit as well. You know, I just remember who your friends are. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> but, that, but that's not how Paul's talking about hope. He's talking about hope as a confident expectation, meaning this, based off of what I know to be true, I look forward to with confident expectation of obtaining that which is mine. Paul says, as Christians, we all have this one hope and we've wrapped our hearts around the hope that Jesus is coming back someday. 
So what's the truth that unites us? A day is coming when Jesus will return for his church and we will spend all of eternity with him. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come back at any moment. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be next week, could be 10 years from now. But the Bible promises one day Jesus will come back and we'll be doing our thing, living our life, and all of a sudden there will be a shout from heaven. The trumpets will blare. And Jesus will descend from the heavens to the earth and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who are alive will meet them in the clouds and then we'll meet Jesus in the air and we will spend all of eternity with Jesus. We all have this great hope that Jesus is coming again. We have a hope that this world is not all that there is. See, the ups and downs of your retirement portfolio aren't all that there is. Who wins and loses political elections is not all that there is. Hoping your team drafted the right players the other night or, you know, is making the right trade so that you can have a Super Bowl contending team is not all that there is. One day, Jesus is coming again. One day, he is going to establish his rule and reign, and he will reign forever and ever. And every one of us who's been redeemed, who's been forgiven, who is a child of God, we live with that hope. We live with that hope that one day Jesus is coming back. Now, you might say, well, hang on just a minute. I mean, you're talking about the return of Jesus here. There could be a lot of division in the church about it, right? I mean, we have pre-millennial, post-millennial. We have pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. We have a literal millennial reign, a figurative uh, millennial reign of Jesus. We have all these options. We have all these books. We have all these opinions on how and when Jesus is going to come together. And you mean to tell me the church is unified when we can't even agree on that issue? I'll tell you this. While we may debate and go back and forth on the details, the one thing I can tell you that unifies, that we can all agree on, is that Jesus is coming back. And that's the main truth. You may not agree. We may not be able to agree and see eye to eye here at Awaken about how and when we think Jesus is coming back, and that's okay. Because we are all still united in the fact that Jesus is coming back, and that's the hope that unites us. So here's the application. You need to live every day in light of that day. You see, when all of us start living together, like eternity matters, we'll all unite around this one hope. See, we'll start all using our time, talents, energy, our money, our resources. We'll start doing everything we can until Jesus comes back. This one hope affects how we deal with people in our lives. Because when I live my life in light of eternity... Everybody I know, my friends, my coworkers, my boss, my classmates, my family, the people I see at the grocery store, the people I see at the multiple gyms I go to, I start seeing everybody I know as one of two things. They're either lost or they're saved. We tend to love to get into all kinds of different arguments and debates about so many temporal issues. We love to debate, well, you know, is this president the best president? Do I like those policies? I don't like those policies. Should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I get the vaccine? Should I not get a vaccine? And we love to divide. We love to split on all of these temporal issues. But we never talk about Jesus. 
We go, well, you know what? I don't want to really talk to them about Jesus because, you know, I don't want to offend them. I don't, I don't want them to feel weird about it, which is just a nice way of saying I don't really care if they go to hell for all of eternity because my temporal comfort is more important. We need to talk about Jesus. When you live your life in light of eternity, the only conversation that matters is the one about Jesus. The rest of it, it's all temporal. It's all irrelevant. Because when, it, when Jesus comes again, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent. It doesn't matter if you wore a mask, if you got the vaccine. It doesn't matter if you're a Cowboys fan or you're a Tom Brady fan. The only thing that matters when Jesus comes again is did you know Jesus? You're either lost or you're saved. Amen to that? Amen. Amen. Number four, we are surrendered to one Lord. As Christians, we worship one Lord. There aren't many gods. It's not a buffet that we can just kind of pick and choose from and go, well, I like this over here and I like that. No, many, go- many guys, many people have tried to be Lord, but there is only one Lord who's become a man and his name is Jesus. And he is the one Lord. When the early Christians said, Jesus is Lord, they were aligning themselves with Jesus and saying, Caesar is not Lord. And that was a dangerous thing for them to do because that could cost them their lives. So what's the truth that unites us? Jesus and Jesus alone is in charge. I'm not in charge. You're not in charge. The people in Washington, D.C. are not in charge. A king and a queen are not in charge. Jesus and Jesus alone is in charge. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Jesus and Jesus alone is in charge. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It doesn't matter how much power you think you have. It doesn't matter how much power anyone thinks they have. Everyone will bow to the name of Jesus. So here's the application. You need to submit to Jesus as Lord over every area of your life. It's one thing to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus is in charge. Anybody can just say yes to Jesus that he's in charge. It's a whole other thing to submit to Jesus being in charge. To let Jesus be Lord over your finances. To recognize Jesus has blessed you with that job, has given you that money. And say, Jesus, as a way of submitting to you, I'm going to give some money back to the church to remind myself who is Lord over my finances. To have Jesus, to submit to Jesus as Lord over your interests, your hobbies, your relationships, your schedule, and say, Jesus comes above all of those other things. To submit to Jesus over your problems as well. To go to Jesus the minute you hit a problem, not go to something else, but to submit yourself to Jesus. So we need to be surrendered to him. Number five, we are living according to one faith. We are living according to one faith. Here's the truth that unites us. We have one authority for what we believe and how we are to live, and that is God's word. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute. Can we have differences of opinions? Can't we have a little back and forth on the Bible? Yeah, we can. But here's what's not up for debate. What's not up for debate is that this is the word of God. 
And this is the ultimate authority for how we are to uh, act, for how we are to believe, and for how we are to live our lives. And so when we have brokenness in our relationships, what do we do? Panic and turn to everything else and everyone else? No, we come to God's word. We see what God's word has to say. We turn to this and say, God, how do I deal with this? And we submit ourselves to God's word. When we're faced with a situation, do I do this? Do I do that? What do I do over here? Do we panic and stress out and get worried? No, we submit ourselves to God's word and say, what does God's word have to say about this situation? And when we submit ourselves to the scripture, to God's word, we are submitting ourselves and we are putting Jesus first. See, there's a thing going around in our culture right now. It says there's your truth and there's my truth. You can pursue your truth. I'm going to pursue my truth. Let me just say something to that for just a minute. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only one truth, and that is found in God's word. So when it comes to this idea of truth and the truth of God's word, there are two things you need to know. There's non-negotiable truth, and there's negotiable truth. I'll just give you real briefly, for the sake of time, some non-negotiable truths. Non-negotiable truth is Jesus is God. Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived the life we could not live, died the death that we should have died. He was buried and he rose three days later, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And right now is in heaven on the right hand of the Father. We believe that heaven is real, hell is real. We believe there is one God and he exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there are more non-negotiable truths and you can go online and check those out if you want. So those are non-negotiable truths. Those are things that we believe God's word and we submit ourselves to those truths. But then there's negotiable truth. The truth that we can have a little back and forth on. For example, we talked about the second coming of Jesus. We all believe that Jesus is coming back. That's a truth that's non-negotiable. We all believe that. But the negotiating part is we can have some back and forth on how we think, some of the details about how Jesus comes back. So when it comes to God's word, there's a truth that's not up for debate, non-negotiable truth, and there's some truth that we can have a little fun with, we can talk about, we can debate over. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, what we need to know is that we are to submit to the one authority. We are to submit to God's word. So here's the application. You need to pursue time in the word alone and with others. Listen, if you're not prioritizing God's word in your life, you care nothing about the unity of his church. Because this book is what unites us together. And so what we have is we need to constantly be thinking and getting into routines of regular Bible reading. That's why we have the Bible bookmarks in our lobbies, in our mass-only venue. That's why we have them online for you to grab because we're trying to help you cultivate this habit of regular Bible reading in your life. Are we doing this because we want you to wake up early or stay up late at night? No. We know that the God's word will unite us together. That's why also on a Sunday, it's important for us to prioritize the gathering with one another, to get into God's word because it unites us. But even more so, it's important for us to get into groups so that we are united with each other, sharpening each other in God's word. Do we do that because we want you to have more things on your calendar? No. 
We do that because we know the importance of how it unifies us together. We need to constantly be fighting for the unity of the body of Christ. Number six, we have all experienced one baptism. Here's the truth that unites us. Jesus has given us a way to show the world that we are his followers and we belong to his family. And the way that he shows us that we belong to his family is through baptism. Paul here isn't talking about a spiritual baptism. If he was talking about a spiritual baptism, he would have talked about in point number two. But he's talking about water baptism here, that we are to all be united. We're all to be identifying ourselves with Jesus through water baptism. And so here's the application. You need to go public and be baptized. If you haven't done that yet, Paul says it's one of the seven truths that unites us together as a family. And so if you haven't been baptized yet, guess what? May 30th is our baptism. This is probably an awaken first. We're one month ahead. I could tell you right now that one month from now, we are going to be baptizing. And so if you've recently given your life to the Lord, or maybe you gave your life to the Lord a long time ago, but you haven't taken that step to identify yourself to the world that you belong to Jesus, then on May 30th, sign up. Right now, you can go online, you can sign up for baptisms, and we'll be able to get you ready and get all the things that we need to, all the information, and get you ready, get a shirt and all that stuff ready for you. Maybe a long time ago, you were baptized as a kid, and your parents were like, well, you're kind of a demon child, so it couldn't hurt. Maybe get baptized a little bit. And so you got baptized, but it means nothing to you. You still live like a demon child. And your parents are like, I guess it didn't stick, but now you've given your life to the Lord. But now you want to get baptized and you're wondering, should I? Because it was a long time ago. Yes, be baptized because you have a relationship with Jesus now. So if you've given your life to the Lord and you've never been baptized, do it May 30th. Baptism shows the world that you identify with Jesus. Number seven, we made it. Say a good amen there. We all have one father. Paul says one God and one father who is, uh, who is overall and through all, and in all. The truth that unites us. There is one true living God, and he is redeeming people to himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Here's the truth, or here's the application. You need to join God's mission. You see, mission brings alignment. Mission brings unity. The ultimate end isn't about us. It's about people who've yet to hear about Jesus. It's about people who've never been exposed to the truth about Jesus. And when we come around this mission, you know what happens to us? We become unified. See, Paul loves to emphasize God is our father, and I love that he does that. And what he's really trying to remind us is that we're all children of the same family. We're all united. Though we have different backgrounds, we come from different places, we're all united because we're all loving the same God and we're all serving the same God. And so those are the seven one statements that Paul gives us about unity. And Paul says that as we come together around these seven things, we need to fight for our unity. Because listen, we have an enemy who would love to come in and destroy this, bring division, bring chaos. You know why? Because we are a reflection of God, the Father, and Jesus being united. 
And if the enemy can come in and bring uh, division and not bring unity, then the body is dead and the world will not know that Jesus is real. And so we need to fight for our unity. If we want to have a healthy body, we have these seven steps to make sure we have a healthy body. So let's fight for our unity. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.